Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to our first episode of Flushing is Burning. I'm Grace Carbone. I'm here with Christian Romo. Christian, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you, Grace? I'm good. I'm going to a baseball game later today. So, Oh, are yeah. you going to Mets Padres? Sure am. Oh, that sounds really, really fun. Scherzer versus Darvish, right? Yeah, I'm excited to watch the Mets get sliced and diced by you, Darvish. That's that's a little pessimistic, don't you think? <laughs> I'm just remembering all the other times the Mets have faced you, Darvish. Yeah, that that's a that's a solid thing to lean back on. <laughs> and also how they've been up and down this year. Scherzer's been good and then bad. You know, I'm just I'm preparing myself for the worst, and then I'll be happy if I get better. Season starts today, zero and zero. <laughs> so speaking of the games gone by, I mean, we just had the first home series of the year, especially a very um very fun first two games and a very unfun last game yeah this was supposed to be an easy sunday game right like the mets had wrapped up the series they were putting out their sunday lineup nimmo sitting nito sitting canna getting a dh spot not fielding it turned out to be very eventful a lot of stuff happened and that's not supposed to happen on a sunday afternoon yeah carlos carrasco is not looking too hot to start the season not loving that no, no. And I, I do think that because I noted during the start that his velocity didn't quite have the same shift that it had in his first start, but it was still low enough where we weren't exactly seeing the same sort of pitch mixes. We didn't see the changeup come out so much. Um, the fastball definitely couldn't get up to the mid to higher 90s like like he usually could. And it is worrisome from an extent because there's really only two bad options here. Either Carrasco is old and done and his stuff just doesn't play anymore, or he's hurt. And either is bad because hurt could mean, you know, needs a few starts off or hurt could mean needs a few months off. And that's not something that the Mets starting pitching rotation can afford right now with both Verlander and Quintana out. Yeah. I mean, Verlander has been saying he's hoping he gets back before the end of April, but if if Carrasco's hurt and needs to miss some starts between now and Verlander comes back, you're starting, you're looking at a a rotation where now you've got Peterson, McGill, and Lucchese, which is not a situation that a, a big contender really wants to be in. 
Um, and if he's old and he's just not good anymore, that also is bad because then what do you do? You've sort of stuck yourself in the situation. How quickly do you think the Mets look towards someone like Dylan Bundy, who they recently signed over someone like Lucchese, who hasn't pitched in quite a while? And if you would be thrusting into a starting role, you're really putting your games up to chance. I mean, Bundy is he was a late sign. So he he didn't get the spring training that someone like Lucchese got. And then you've also got Bundy's lost some mileage off his fastball. So I don't know how what the difference there is going to be if he's able to work with that dr- drop in velocity or if he's just sort of basically a, a emergency option at this point. It, it's looking real dicey now. Yeah, these emergency options are starting to look like non-emergencies at this point. I was trying to figure out an antonym for emergency, but it didn't really come out as quickly (laughs) as I wanted it to. Yeah, and then if it's injury, they also, I mean, Starling Marte just, he ran head first into, slipped head first into Gene Segura's knee. It sounds like he avoided a concussion, but that also is not great if he's if that cuz he's also had some injury issues over the last couple of years that you know you really can't do without him in the lineup i i think the mets are saying he avoided a concussion and that's not to say that he has a concussion i'm just saying that someone who is running full speed into a stationary hard object like gene segura's knee helmet first it wasn't a grazing effect it was head first directly into Segura's knee. I'm a little disappointed and kind of shocked that he wasn't taken out of the game immediately, especially since the Mets took him out of the game immediately after he became less impactful as a runner. Um, But yeah, I'm hoping for the best for Marte, hoping that he avoided a concussion. Um, But it's a big loss, not only because Marte is a good player, but he's one of the two maybe three players in the starting lineup that's actually hitting right now yeah i mean we we saw what happened when they lost them at the end of last year the the engine just sort of ran out of steam i mean all the players were obviously tired too but you took Marte out of that equation and it was just that was it that sort of was the downfall of that team at the end of last year i mean he's he's been looking good pete's been looking good other than that, it's it's not been I I kind of liked how Alvarez looked yesterday, although I'm sure we won't get to see him again until next weekend. I did, too. I did, too. I actually did the uh, game recap for Amazing Avenue yesterday. And as I was drafting the piece as the game was continuing, I had an entire blurb about Alvarez that started off with Alvarez had an impressive debut that then descended to Alvarez had a good debut, that then descended into Alvarez had a fine debut. Because I don't think that one for four, two strikeouts is going to get a lot of people super excited. But like you, I think his first game of the season went really fine. I was actually more impressed with him on the defensive end than I was on the offensive end. He looked like a major league catcher in a real life scenario for the first time that I'd ever seen. I mean, he, other than that one throw that he ended up tossing into the outfield, he has an arm on him. That, that's, that was what impressed me. I was watching those throws. I was like, wow, that's a, that's if he can just get the, the aim right, that's going to be something else. But yeah, he looked, he looks fine as a catcher, which is 
going to be really annoying when they don't let him catch at all. And just, I mean, I love Tomas Nito. I think he's, he seems like a great guy, but at the same time, his defense is good, but he can't swing his way out of a paper bag. And if Alvarez is going to be better and can catch at least decently, throw him out there three out of five days of the week. What are we doing here? I, I agree. And I think a lot of people will look at the box score and think, oh, Marlon stole five bases off of Alvarez. That's not good. Uh, first couple were really off the pitcher. That was off Carrasco and Jazz being one of the fastest players in the league and getting really good jumps off of Carrasco. The third throw, I think, got birdie. And I don't know if the umpires would have called it out on the replay because it was very, very close. But Birdie is one of the fastest players in the league, and that throw was perfect. Lindor set a great tag. It was, I, I personally think that Alvarez was robbed there. Uh, the fourth stolen base, I, I think, was on Nagosek. I don't think uh, they even threw down. And you're right, the, the fifth throw was a little wild. So a lot of context, I think, is involved in explaining all of the all of the defense that Alvarez showed in his first game. But he, he definitely looked a lot more nervous on the offensive end in the batter's box. And from what we've been told by everyone who knows scouting, that's going to come around. He's going to be a major league hitter at some point. Everyone was worried about the defense, but I didn't see any reason to be that concerned about a rookie catcher catching his first major league game. Yeah, and I mean, if again, this is a rotation that currently has Carrasco, who he's caught, I mean, in the majors, but also in the minors, he caught him, Peterson and McGill. You could have him catch three out of five days of the week and still have Nito catch Max Scherzer, who I think would be happier with that situation, and Kodai Senga, who's, who, you know, his stuff is a little bit, needs a little bit more fine-tuning in the majors, I think. he's He's had a few, um, you know, especially the ghost fork has to be some sort of insanity to catch, um, but you could have him catch three out of five days a week. I don't think you're losing anything in terms of, in you know, great in terms of defense all that much. I mean, I'm sure you'll miss a few strikes or, or maybe one, you know, caught stealing. But other than that, you know, I, I think you got to let him play at a certain point. If he's your top prospect, if he's one of the top five prospects in baseball, you can't sit there and talk about him as a backup quarterback or whatever Buck called him. Yeah. Yeah, and anything to get another power bat in the lineup is going to be really, really important for this Mets team because I don't know if you've noticed, but this offense looks very, very weird right now. It reminds me a lot, and I, I don't like it, of the 2020 New York Mets where they would get on base constantly and then no one would ever end up coming home. It, it's it's a, it's a little it's a little upsetting to watch thus far. Um, and I'm sure some of these guys, you know, they're going to turn it around. These are the major league players, but at the same time, like Escobar hasn't looked too hot. I mean, he got what two extra base hits during the, the Marlins series. But other than that, he's gotten like, I think those are two of his three hits over the course of the season thus far. And Narvaez is hurt. So now Nito's in the, in the lineup, which I mean, if you look at, if you look at Nito's like OPS plus and his WRC plus, he's not even like, Oh, he's below average. 100 is average. He's below zero. He's yeah. in the negatives. Like that is just, you can't have that going on. It's, it's, they got to do something. Yeah. Um, you don't need a, a league average hitting catcher, but you need a catcher who's not in the negatives. That, that is a requirement for, for any major league lineup now. And uh, yeah, this, this offense is very good at two things and they happen to be two really important things. 
they get on base and they don't strike out. Two out of the three true outcomes the Mets are really, really good at. They are third in Major League Baseball in walks. I believe Brandon Nimmo already has 10 walks, um, which that's on pace for something extraordinary. Um, And they're also eighth in fewest strikeouts. They don't strike out very much. But as you mentioned, they don't hit the ball very well either. They they're bottom five in hits and they're bottom five in slugging percentage, which means you're right. It's a lot like this 2020 offense where we see a lot of players getting on base, but they're leaving double digit people on base at the end of every single game. And it's really, really frustrating to see them keep a similar pace with runners on base and hits as their opponents and then lose seven to two and then lose five to nothing. Like this is, this isn't a team that is, or, or this isn't a team that has been like driving the runners in. And that's, that's really disappointing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, you can say all you want about, oh, the rotation's old, oh, the bullpen without Diaz or whatever. But at a certain point, if, if you're not, driving in any runs like they should have been able to put up more than two runs against the Marlins yesterday mm-hmm. they should they had multiple opportunities with runners on base and they just did nothing and it's it's terrible I mean it's a small sample size you can't say oh well this is just you know they suck now like you know there's obviously time to turn around it's been what 10 games into the season but it's not a good pattern at this point yeah uh it's it's not something that is sustainable and I I do think there is optimism that a lot of these players will quote unquote regress or in this case progress to the mean Lindor uh, will hit for power at some point. Um, Marte will come back and, and continue, continue slugging. Alvarez may be that missing fourth batter that they're looking for. Uh, Jeff McNeil is not like, you know, not tearing up the world right now. He, he very much might at some point. So uh, it's 10 games into the season, small sample size, not something to be, terribly concerned about right now especially since they're five and five and they're only two games back from atlanta and there doesn't seem to be a there doesn't seem to be a a team that has established themselves in the nl east so far there is still plenty of time for the mets to be that team yeah and i mean you know they have they're playing the padres now and but after that they're playing playing the a's they're they're doing their little uh their little interleague action uh That should, that should get them some wins, hopefully. This is such a weird stretch because they're playing all the California teams minus the Angels, right? But they get the Padres at home. And then they travel to Oakland. And then they play the Giants, but not before driving down to Los Angeles. Like, I'm not entirely sure why they're not staying in the Bay Area for, for five to six straight days. That doesn't make much sense to me. It, you know, it's the they started their season. If opening day had happened on time, they would have went through eight games without getting a day off. It's a really weird schedule this year. I, I, I genuinely don't get it. I'm sure that somewhere in some league office that this was the way that they Tetris together all 30 teams schedules. But it, it's it's bizarre that they wouldn't just swap the Giants and the Dodgers so they could just do it because they usually do that. It'll be, <laughs> oh, we doing this and then we'll go down. There. Nope, it's up and down and up like it's I, I don't get it. I'm also a little bit disappointed because that Dodgers series usually comes a little later in the summer, and that's the time I get to watch the Mets live, and so I have to figure out some tickets for myself next week. I'm sure it'll be easier in April than it is in June, but the baseball will be a little lower leverage. There's, I think there's a Wednesday game at 1 p.m. I have no idea how I'm going to get to that one, but uh, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I mean... 
if it was up to Gary Cohen, none of this would be happening. Did you did you hear <laughs> how old he sounded on the broadcast yesterday? And yes. Gary Cohen, he is old, but he sounded a little little more curmudgeon-y than usual. It was very, you know, old man yells at cloud. It was baffling. I, I would love I've been spending like years being like, I just want to see the Mets play Mike Trout at home. I want to go see the Angels play the Mets at home. And I got to wait maybe once every three years to see that. I'd love to see them play all these teams. So for those of you who missed it, Gary Cohen went on what I would describe as a diatribe yesterday against MLB's realignments of the schedule. And this is a take that he's had in the past. He voiced his displeasure for this upcoming rule change last year. Uh, His basic tenant is that there should be no reason why MLB should devalue divisional play, that reducing the number of games between divisional teams from 19 to 13 is ultimately bad for the game. And if he wants to have that take, I think it's fine. I think it's okay as a person to feel like divisional play is being devalued by these rule changes. But he put out a very grand statement yesterday, very blankly saying that the fans didn't want this. And I don't know who he's talking to because MLB likes to make rule changes that benefit themselves and the owners above all. But when it comes to really, really big things like adjusting the schedule in its totality, MLB is only going to do that if they know for a fact that it's going to play well with the fans. The fans did want this. And I think there are good reasons for the fans wanting this. As you say, you want to see Mike Trout come play in New York once every year or every two years, I guess, with with this alignment. In a similar fashion, I want to see the Mets come down to Anaheim. So I have a much better opportunity to watch my favorite team in the place that I live. And it's not just a matter of like, uh, we're devaluing the divisional play because like, what these divisions are arbitrary in the first place. Like there is no geographic significance between the Mets and half of the teams that they're playing. They have to travel across the country to play divisional opponents in Atlanta and Miami. What's what significance is there to them playing Atlanta in and Miami? Gary Cohen also said something along the lines of like, we're erasing 150 years of of history when we realign the schedules this way. No, we're not. Like the the Marlins came into existence in 1993. There is no significant relationship between them and the Mets. I don't want to play the Marlins 19 times a year is what I'm trying to ultimately say. I don't want to watch the Phillies 19 times a year. Those games are torture. And and we're racing 150 years of, I love Gary Cohen, but like, we we used to not be able to play games at night because we didn't have any lights in the stadium. And the Braves used to be part, the Atlanta Braves used to be part of the West division. Like, what are we doing here? None of this makes sense. This is all arbitrary. It's a game. None of this matters. If you really <laughs> look back at how baseball was 150 years ago, the argument of we're erasing 150 years of history is not the argument that you want to make. I think 
baseball history is not an overwhelmingly positive thing. There are a lot of bad things that happened pre-expansion, pre-integration, pre-dead ball era. We don't need to hold on to the relics of the past that strongly. Yeah, you know, guy, there was a guy, I think, I think, I'm thinking, I mean, there was a guy who was hit in the head and died on a baseball field because we didn't wear helmets. But we're, you know, when we introduce helmets, we're erasing history of people dying on the baseball field. It's just, it's ridiculous to me that, like, you're going to get that mad over. It's not even like they're saying, well, the Mets are never playing the Braves again. They're going from 19 to 13. You are still going to see them four to five times a year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand the, the pearl clutching in this manner. We're not traveling cross-country in trains. We have we have airline travel now. We can, we can go to these places. And really, like, I do think if you're going to make the argument on behalf of anti-divisional realignment, if you're someone like Seattle who has to travel a lot anyway to face their divisional opponents, it makes a lot more sense to play teams that are closer to you. Um, but that's not how these divisions are aligned. Really, I think the only division that has any geographical significance to themselves is like the AL Central and the AL East. Every other division, you have teams having to travel across time zones or across in the entirety of the, the width of the country in order to play a divisional opponent 19 times a year. So uh, I, I don't see it. Um, this is not to lambast Gary. He is the best play-by-play man in baseball. Uh, there, there just needs to be some checking on when he gets a little bit out of line in the booth. I mean, that's that's the that's the double-edged sword of having three sixty-year-olds in the booth is that there is no checking when they get a little they get a little Abe Simpson. Hey, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes you get some like uh, s- some casual old man humor in there, yeah. but uh, yeah, um, uh, we really need Gelbs in there on on occasion. Yeah, or, or Blevins or someone to just drop the median age just a little bit for for discussions like this. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, we're we're five minutes over our arbitrary uh, time commitment for this first act. So we're going to come back in act two and talk about some other stuff. See you soon. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. And we are back. So uh, this is the first episode of this podcast, Flushing is Burning. And I think it would be worthwhile for us to take some time to talk about why we're here. Uh, what we're doing, what we would like to do. Um, And I think we should start off with the name of the podcast itself. Flushing is Burning is based off of a movie from uh, 19... 19, What year did Paris is Burning come out? I'm asking you, Chris. 
I'm gonna double check, but I'm pretty sure it's somewhere around like 1990 19... sounds correct. Yeah, 1990. 1990 sounds correct. Anyway, um, this is a very seminal movie in the history of the trans movement in New York. It's a very seminal LGBT movie in general, uh, and we want to essentially create a space where we can talk about baseball and LGBT issues using um, the perspective of LGBT hosts, because while we know that there are plenty of really, really excellent LGBT voices in the sports landscape, not that many of them are talking about baseball, and I think <laughs> seldom fewer are talking about the Mets. And so I think it's really important for there to exist uh, a space where these issues and the confluence of these issues can be discussed. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote at Amazing Avenue a piece last year about their Pride Night, and I I could t I knew by the embracing of that piece by so many people that there is a there's an a niche and a need for a perspective like this in the sport because I think that base I think there's a lot of queer fans and LGBT plus fans of the sport, but not a lot of people covering it from that perspective. And not necessarily like covering, but I. Well, you are correct in that sense, but I think that there is a very natural inclination for LGBT fans, um, and, I, and I can say this from my perspective as well, because it rings true for me, um, to simply closet that experience from baseball conversations, um, to, to, to sort of suppress this perspective that I think is worthwhile, but would not be accepted by a, a general baseball populace. And I, I do think it's, it's important to attach some labels here. So my name is Christian. I am a cis bisexual man, bisexual or pansexual. I can't really uh, parse between the two at the moment and figure out which one better applies to me. Um, but I live in Los Angeles. I've been a Mets fan for my entire life. Um, and while I think that the, the confluence of baseball and LGBT issues won't uh, manifest itself every week. I do think it's important for us to talk about uh, certain uh, LGBT issues that don't necessarily involve the Mets or sports um, and try to find some enlightenment between the two, I guess. So uh, those, those are my bona fides. Uh, Grace, if you're comfortable sharing yours. Sure. Um, I'm Grace Carbone. I'm a cis lesbian woman. I live in New York. Um, and I've also been a Met fan my entire life. Um, and yeah, I agree. I, I, there's a, especially now, topically, there's a lot of crossover between the two sports and, and queer issues. And I think even, even outside of each of those specters on their own and just the general world sense, I think there is a need for the perspective um especially in in an area like this where we could potentially reach people who don't hear that perspective all that often and this you know it's it's just important to see the world through so many different eyes which is why i'm a fan of movies it is it's a way to be able to see from outside yourself and see something that you might not have considered before one thing that i want to emphasize for anyone listening to us and by the way thank you if you are listening to us it means the world um Grace and I don't know each other. We've never met. Um, we we have an internet uh, relationship, but that is is all. We live on opposite ends of the country, and I feel like um, 
a lot of this podcast is going to be us learning about ourselves and us learning about other people. Um, and so I just want to share that. And thanks, Grace, for, <laughs> for, for joining up. This was something that we've been talking about for a while. Thanks, Brian, for allowing us to have this platform. And uh, I, I think we, we, can, we can talk about some gay shit now, if that's okay with you. I'd love to do that. Uh, it's really hard to talk about LGBT issues without getting sad. And so I don't want to shine a light on some bad stuff right now. I want to shout out Becky Pepper Jackson. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Becky Pepper Jackson is a 12-year-old trans girl who competes on her middle school's cross-country team. Uh, she lived in West Virginia, and she recently challenged West Virginia's uh, recently passed ban on trans girls' participation in girls' sports. Um, and this uh, challenge has been relatively successful in the sense that um, her lawyers have successfully argued that she should not qualify under this ban because she's been on puberty blockers for the last few years and will not experience an endogenous puberty uh, the same as um, other male-born people would. And this is a case that's been brought up to the Supreme Court of the United States, of the United States, and the Supreme Court has essentially refused to listen to this case, which means that they will not enforce West Virginia's ban, which, if I'm reading this correctly, means that Becky Pepper Jackson will be allowed will be allowed to compete for uh, for her team, and for a couple of reasons, I think this is this is a really fun and and good and positive and interesting story. Um, one, I could be reading this wrong, but if I'm reading it correctly, based off of the NPR report that I read earlier this morning. Becky Pepper Jackson is the only trans girl athlete who wants to participate on a girls team in West Virginia, which essentially means that West Virginia's proposed ban was going to apply to only one person, just Becky Pepper Jackson. That's it. And so it's really fun to me that this ban, this very bigoted and hateful ban that applied to only one person is not going to work. It's simply not going to affect Becky Pepper Jackson. As far as I know, there, there is, there's likely, I'm sure, going to be some challenges in her life as a 12-year-old trans athlete. Um, but I think that in a sea of bigoted and hateful legislation that we're seeing throughout the United States. So this one very small victory is one that deserves to be highlighted. It deserves to be celebrated in a sense. And I just want to give a, a huge shout out to Becky Pepper Jackson and her family for being so brave in the face of such hatred. Yeah, I mean, that that's the story behind so many of these bands is that they always affect like one kid, three kids two kids like it's not this isn't the the talking points would make you think that this is some sort of mass you know onslaught that is happening this is one kid in west virginia that the entire state was going to basically say well this we're going to pass this very sweeping ban but it literally is only going to affect you and that's i think back i think it was it was megan rapino who was on the u.s women's national team and they asked her about the, the whole trans um, student student athlete debate and she was she was talking about it and she was like 
you know, this is, it affects one kid in a state, three kids in a state. And really at the end of the day, this isn't, this is bigger than sports. This is bigger than, oh, we don't want our little 12 year old girl to run track with this 12 year old trans girl because we think that that is an unfair advantage, whatever. But no one's transitioning to join a sport. People are transitioning because if they don't, they're going to spend their entire lives hating themselves. Like that is, that is, it's the same thing behind coming out. There is a, once you accept that truth about yourself, you need to do what you need to, to make yourself feel better, you know, better and more yourself, or you're going to lose sight of yourself at a certain point. And Megan Rapinoe basically said, this is, these are people's lives. Like, that's what it is. This, this little girl, this little 12 year old girl, this is a life. This isn't just, oh, uh, cross country, blah, 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 blah. This is someone's life, and she wants to run cross country. And like you said, she's been on puberty blockers. She will not experience endogenous puberty. So there is no, oh, well, she's ragingly full of testosterone. It, it's, it's just, it's a life, and she wants to do this. And she has, like, this is the, this is the clearest cut case, really. And this point is, she has not experienced puberty. She is twelve years old. Just let her run. If yeah. that's, if that's what she wants to do. Just let her run. Yeah. What's what's the worst thing that happens? Oh no, she wins track meet. Uh oh. You know what? Michael Phelps, his body is built in such a way that he he, pro- he produces lactic acid different than everyone else, which allows him to swim better than everyone else and swim faster than everyone else. That's why he ran the, those. He swam and won all those gold medals. No one was throwing a fit about that, and that's a way bigger biological advantage than oh, this little kid was born was assigned male at birth, and transition but never ended up or even if they did end up going through it it's a much bigger you know advantage to to be able to swim faster because your body the muscles in your body don't burn if i'm remembering biology correctly while you're swimming so you don't feel the pain exactly uh i i do want to say assigned male at birth much better way of pointing out than me saying born male so i do want to um shout that out um yeah and even if even if she wasn't on puberty blockers, which was a really important cudgel for this case because it allowed uh, her lawyers to argue that she should essentially be grandfathered into this team. But even if she wasn't, we're talking about middle school cross country. How many people care about middle school cross country? Really, really. Middle school cross country in West Virginia. No shade to West Virginia. (laughs) There's a lot of really great people there. But I'm sure there are four times as many people in my city than there are in West Virginia. So I, I have to wonder how much these West Virginia legislators and people who support this type of policy are really thinking about the individual people that are affected. If they really know that this really is going to affect one person, and even if they knew that the legislation wasn't even going to affect this one person because she successfully defended against it, if they care, if they simply want the legislation to exist for the sake of the legislation to exist. And maybe they don't care at all if these athletes are running middle school cross country to begin with. Oh, they don't, they, they don't, this is just literally, they're trying to get, you know, bonus points from whatever, you know, massive group or, or whatever is going to say, well, we don't want, we want these anti-trans bills. And I mean, I don't know if you've been following the stuff in Nebraska, but those legis this, this state legislators in nebraska who are actively filibustering for like weeks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they're they're trying to pass anti-trans legislation and they will they are literally there has not been a single bill passed and that i think is is 
the way that I, that these sorts of bills should be handled. It shouldn't just be, oh, well, we don't think that's right. We'll vote against it, but it will still be passed. It should be, this is life or death, and we will literally stop the entire fucking government. Sorry yep. if we're not allowed to curse. If you're going to try and pass this, we're not passing a single thing. It's it, It's been really, this is the silver lining. If there can be a silver lining to all of this, is is you're really able to see who is aligning with life right now because i would have never expected a a state like new mexico for example to come out in support of trans people basically i think both new mexico and minnesota have established themselves as sanctuary states right now um i, I would have never expected lawmakers in tennessee and nebraska to be so um, so so defensive and so strong in their defense of trans rights right now. It's it, it's been really depressing to watch this onslaught of bigotry and hatred have actual effect on state legislation. And it has also, I think, been, if not equally heartening, at least heartening enough to see people stand up and say, no, this isn't going to happen. There are the families of Becky Pepper Jacksons in the world who are willing to bring this up all the way to the highest court of the United States because it's a matter of right and wrong. It's not a matter of personal interest. It's not a matter of financial interest. It's we want to make sure that my daughter gets to live the life that she wants to live. And I think there's there's a little bit of beauty in that, even if it is a result of so much hatred and ugliness. I, there's there's always going to be the little the little bright, and I'm I'm for me it's always when I think about these these debates about you know trans rights and everything like that. There's sort of this I think idea for a lot of people that well this stuff only came into existence twenty thirty years ago. You know, or or when uh, Christine Jurgensen, I believe was her name, got the first sex change operation. Well, that was the first one. So it's only been trans people have existed throughout history. You can yeah. go back and you can look back centuries upon centuries and find just like just like gay people, you can go back in centuries and centuries. You can find this is something that has existed. It hasn't existed in this way where there's been medical options and and puberty blockers and surgeries and stuff like that, but. People socially transitioned. People just lived as women. Just people born assigned female birth, lived as men, and they were. You know, there's there's been. They were cowboys. They were soldiers. They were. You know, they just lived their lives, and no one questioned it. Trans and now it's it's just it's now it's the 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 talking point. You know, they suck. Yeah, uh, trans. <laughs> Trans people have been around longer than high school sports. I, I think that's an important <laughs> thing to remember when we're talking about all this legislation. All right, we are we are way over our <laughs> arbitrary uh, time slot. Uh, so we're going to take a break and bring it into our final act of our first episode. All right, and we're back. Um, in our first segment, I don't think we touched on because we were focusing so much on the Mets. The Tampa Bay Rays have been just absolutely demolishing everyone in their path i haven't seen a start like this ever <laughs> uh i what their run differential is like 54 or 57. something 57 <laughs> 57 and i i i initially so 
I, I, I saw a stat that I misread. And the misreading of this stat was still impressive. I read the stat as the Tampa Bay Rays have won all of their games by an average margin of four runs. And that's not correct. That's how I read it. I read it that way and thought, wow, that's, that's really, really good if they're averaging four runs of run differential per victory. No, they've won all of their games by a minimum of four <laughs> runs. Four runs is the lowest number of run differential they've had in any single game. Uh, either they're playing really bad teams or they're a really good baseball team. It's probably both. Yeah, I mean, I think their last series was against the A's, so you can factor that into it. But still, the, the Tampa Bay, I feel like the Tampa Bay Rays got kind of lost in the shuffle over the last year or so with the, the Blue Jays and the Yankees and the Orioles even looking pretty good that everyone sort of forgot about the Tampa Bay Rays. This is the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a team that is designed to have, like, 24 players you've never heard of before, and all of them are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, it's this is this is their model, I think, operating at peak efficiency. And it's it's done a couple of things. A, I think it has focused attention finally on them because whenever the Rays are good, it's always like a secondary story. It's never the top story in Major League Baseball because there's usually another team that's doing slightly better than them that has much more of a, a pull in the news media, at least, whether it's the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, whatever. The Rays are never the top story, but but they are now. And it's, it's really interesting to see a team that has never really focused their attention on regular season success all of a sudden decide to turn it on right now. Like they, they are putting out their best lineup every night. They are crushing the competition. And it's also really, really nice to see a team that said, oh, you think that the Astros are the best team in the American League right now? We're going to flip the narrative a bit. We're going to put some attention on us right now, which may be something that Houston wants because I don't think they focus so much <laughs> in the regular season uh, as as much as other teams would either. Um, but uh, it, it's it's been really cool to to see the Rays have this start, and I'm very glad that they're not in the same division as the Mets right now. <laughs> yeah, that that's really nice. The the Braves look like they're catchable and beatable. The Rays look like they are just a runaway train of success, um, which must suck to feel like a Yankees and a Blue Jays fan to turn around and be like, what the hell is going on over there? Well, I think everyone knew that the AL East <laughs> was once again going to be the most difficult division, but I don't think anyone would have predicted that the Rays would be by far ahead of everyone else at this point in the season. Everyone was calling it as either, oh, it's going to be the Blue Jays and the Yankees. Like, everyone was expecting those two. But, the, you know, that that little picture of, I think it's Henry Cavill and Jason Momoa, where it's yep. like Henry. Yeah. So Henry Cavill standing there normal as the Yankees and the Blue Jays. And then little Jason Momoa running up is that's the that's the Rays in this scenario. Like, this is this is really impressive. It's kind of fun, actually, to just turn around and be like, oh, they won another one by like seven runs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a this is a wild, wild start by the Rays. And I, I also think that um, it's not something that we should put too much stock into. I think this was discussed yesterday on the Mets broadcast uh, where I learned that the last team to start 8-0, and um, the, the Rays are now 9-0, and but the last team to start 8-0 and was the 2003 Kansas City Royals, 
who I think finished 83 and 79 and missed the playoffs. <laughs> and so like this could absolutely be the start of something historic and unprecedented. And perhaps the Rays are the best team in major league baseball, or they could finish 83 and 79 because the last team that did that finished exactly there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got some, they've got some fun players. I'm really glad that they extended Wander Franco. It's always exciting mm-hmm. to see a, a, a team like the Rays which is historically known for not spending money, extend their franchise player. And I think they gave an extension to Jeffrey Springs, um, who's also looking like a Cy Young candidate so far. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, you never know. Or we could get like halfway through the season and then all of a sudden all like 17 of their random pitchers that they brought up and turned into all-stars, they all crap out and then they completely just tank. But it's it's always these little stories are always fun over the course of a baseball season. I mean, I remember when the 2018 Mets started. What was it, 11 and one? That mm-hmm. season didn't end well, but that was fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I, I I'm very happy for the the few thousand Rays fans that they get to have this <laughs> uh, this moment for them. A uh, quick quick trivia: the um, the Tampa Bay Rays currently have, as you said, a 57 or plus 57 run differential. Uh, would you like to guess? Uh, number two and where they are right now. I feel like I saw this before. Um, is it the Brewers? And it I is the say Brewers. They're somewhere around like 24, 25. They're at 25. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, that's less than half memory. of the Rays. Number two <laughs> is less than half. <laughs> I think I saw that like all the other teams, like if you add up all the other teams' run differentials, because there's a lot of them that are down a lot because of the, the sure. Tampa Bay Rays. If you add them all up, I don't think they they passed with the Rays, which is really hilarious. Well, part of the reason is that the Rays have to play someone, right? So, like, yeah. the last place right now is the Oakland Athletics, and they're at minus 45 because they just played the Rays. So, um, I I think that would be the case. I also, I don't, isn't that just math? Like... Uh, the run differential is going to be at zero, like regardless of however you add them up because two teams play each other. And then like, it's, I don't know, like maybe <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't do well in math. So um, I, I don't know that that could just be me talking out of my ass right now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I want to transition away from an actually good baseball team and uh, ask you um, if you got a movie minute for us this week, our first week, I, I don't want to, to open this as if this is something that we people know and that like we do very normally. Uh, so, um, Grace, you like movies, right? Sure do. Do you want to talk about a movie this week and every week that we do this? I would love to. What movie do you have for us this week? So this week i have two because i was thinking about it before and i couldn't decide so i'm gonna do a quick lightning round on each of them one's older one just came out um the older one i just watched what was it two nights ago the last temptation of christ which is martin scorsese's movie about um it's based on the book by I'm forgetting his name but it's it's like a um re an imagining of what it would must have been like for christ because he was just like a normal guy and it's like a really good it's fantastic like kind of i saw a review about it before it was like it's, it's like a rock and roll epic like it, the music's awesome it's peter gabriel and willem dafoe is jesus like it's it's always great when martin scorsese decides to work through his catholic guilt uh it gives us really good movies um and then the newer one is on hulu it's called rye lane and it's a british rom-com and i was blown away it it's gorgeous 
um let me pull up the the plot description because i don't want to get it wrong it's like very light and loose um it's a it's a rom-com between these two people each of them have gone through like some sort of relationship issue in the past and they just meet each other um in a in in like a gender neutral bathroom it hilarious Mm. um and it's the guy is like he broke up with his ex because she ended up like cheating on him with his best friend and then the girl um she's she just broke up recently so it's like these two people just sort of meeting at the right time it's gorgeous it is i love a lot of colors in movies because i think a lot of movies now are very like dark and gross and muddy everything looks like the color of wet cement um this movie is just so many colors the lenses and the cinematography that were used i mean just it's a directorial debut and I couldn't believe it. Like it, it feels like someone who's been making movies for a while and they just, this is their first movie. It's fantastic. I loved it. Totally recommend it. It's like an hour and 25 minutes, super short. Can, can you tell our beautiful audience how to spell Rye Lane? Oh, so it's Rye is like the bread, R-Y-E, mm. and then Lane like a street. Nice. And you say this is British, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a British film. It's set in South London. You would think that if any movie would be the color of wet cement, <laughs> it would be a British movie. And you think? The colors it's, do pop based off of these images that I'm looking up. It's gorgeous. And I mean, it's got, the music is great. Uh, it's it's just like a very fun, light. It, it kind of reminded me of, um, and just in terms of like how like light and sort of just it sort of moved through space instead of having like really plot heavy is um, the before movies, specifically before sunset, the before sunrise, the first one. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very much in that, like, just like two people walking around talking. And then like, this one has a little bit more where it's like they meet the ex of the guy and, and her mm-hmm. new boyfriend, who's the, the old friend. But other than that, it's very like, just like two people getting to know each other. And it's really fun. This looks really fun. I, I think I need to find someone who subscribes to Hulu so I can steal their <laughs> password. Yeah, it's, I totally, and again, it's hour and 25 minutes. I know I'm, I love a long movie, Less Temptation of Christ. It's like two hours and 40 mo- minutes, but it's really nice when like a movie can just sort of get in and get out, get what it needs to get done. I, I love, I like really long movies and really short movies. I think either one, it's really a feat. Also, you mentioned um, that they meet in a gender-neutral bathroom. This reminds me that uh, I recently walked into a gender-neutral bathroom at an ice cream store in Calabasas, and it, it was it was such an interesting experience for me because I, I went to hippie school, and I've been around New York where gender-neutral bathrooms are very common, um, but I, I still felt like a little like second-grade giddy when I walked into the bathroom <laughs> and I see like tampons above the toilet. And I'm like, ooh, what are these? What are what are these used for? And it's it. I, I don't know if we've come to a consensus on like what exactly gender neutral bathrooms should be stocked with, but I, I definitely am a little bit behind the curve when it comes to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 like a fun device for a movie to use too. Like it's it's very modern mm. that way, but it's like these two people meet in just this gen because that's. It's like a funny little thing. They're each in a stall. Like, it's funny. I love it. Mm, awesome. Cool. Um, well, I, I think that's a, a good and positive and heartwarming place to end our first episode. Grace, do you have any final thoughts on, on the Mets as they play all of California coming up? Uh, I hope they win tonight while I'm there. That would be really nice. And I hope that they uh, that a lot of the bats heat up. That would be really nice. Yeah. 
that would that would be great. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. If you did, we had a great time. Hopefully, uh, we can get a little bit better as these go along. Um, but thanks for coming anyway. Let's go, Max. Let's go, Max.